0: Well, over the course of our three services this morning, we're baptizing 13 people. We're baptizing four people here today in this, uh, in this service, Tristan Meyer, Riggins, Duell, Ella Pope, and Dawson Clark. But in preparation for these baptisms, I want us to consider an account in Acts 15 where God orchestrated events to where this one man uh, heard the gospel in a compelling way. He heard the gospel, he believed, and then he was baptized. And we see illustrated in this passage a couple of, of significant spiritual uh, truths, spiritual principles that we really need to understand since we seem to be the we seek to be a church that brings the gospel to people in compelling ways as well. And one of these realities involves what God does, the other re- reality involves what we do. And when people come to Christ, uh, God does the work, but it's actually a collaboration between God and us. God empowers us, but God collaborates with us in bringing people to Christ. And so uh, we're going to look at this passage in Acts 16 today. So the Apostle Paul and Silas, along with a few others, came to Philippi in response to a vision that Paul saw one night. And so no doubt about it, it was the will of God that Paul and Silas be in Philippi. It's never in doubt. And beginning in Acts 16 16, Luke describes how God put Paul and Silas in the closest of proximities to the man who was in charge of the jail at Philippi so that he could hear the gospel in a compelling way. Luke, who is the author of Acts, writes this in verse 16. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. And so these owners, quote unquote owners of this little girl were evil men. Uh, they were exploiting her because she was possessed by an evil spirit. She had this spirit of divination. So she uh, apparently could predict the future. And so people would pay these men money and, he, and they would have, have her Uh, predict the future for people. And so it was just this horrible type of exploitation. Verse 17, she followed Paul and us crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And so what this, this spirit was saying is true enough, but just as Jesus didn't want evil spirits crying out and pronouncing, you are the Son of God, why have you come here? Paul didn't want this this spirit uh, making pronouncements about who they were and the salvation they proclaimed. Verse 18, and this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. Make no mistake about it, there is power in the name of Jesus, meaning in the person of Jesus. Verse, eight, verse 19, you see her owners obviously were, were unhappy about that. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews and they are disturbing our city they advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer, that's our guy, that's the one we're talking about today, ordering the jailer to keep them safe, safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so because Paul was called to Philippi, because he cast out the demon from the girl, because he was dragged into the marketplace, he and Silas, and were beaten, and because they were unjustly thrown into a Roman prison, this jailer was now face-to-face with these two men who were passionate about Jesus. Okay, And so this was no coincidence, the way this happened. This is what God does. He brings people in in close proximity to people who who know the gospel. They weren't told anything about the spiritual temperature of this jailer in Philippi. We're simply told he did what he was ordered to do. It gets good, beginning of verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And so they were not sitting in prison saying, God, you called us here. We did what you wanted us to. Can't you take care of us? If this is the way you treat your friends, how are you going to treat your enemies? They weren't shaking their fist with, at God. They weren't accusing him of anything. No, they were, they were worshiping God. They were praying and they were, they were singing hymns to God. And the prisoners, of course, were listening to them. And this mirrors, this kind of echoes what happened back in chapter 5 when Peter and the other apostles in Jerusalem, they were beaten and then they were threatened and they were sent away, quote, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, Jesus. And that's, that was Paul and Silas' attitude here as well. Verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. And so he just assumed it was a good assumption that if they had the chance to escape, they would. And since it was a capital offense to let your prisoners escape, he was just going to go ahead and end his own life. Verse 28, but Paul cried out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. Not just him and Silas, but we're all here. None of the prisoners have escaped. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Apparently, he had heard that Paul and Silas were claiming that there's salvation in the person of Jesus Christ, and so he flat out asked them the question, and some of you may be at this very place in your life, but he said, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, and they said, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your households, not just for you, anybody who believes will be saved. And so this is the gospel. This is the simple gospel. If you believe that Jesus, when he died, he died for your sin. and if you believe that when he rose, he rose to give you eternal life, if you believe that, then you will be saved. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to them, to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And they rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God." And this is the pattern throughout Acts. When people hear the gospel and they believe, then they are soon after baptized as a declaration. And it's obviously not a declaration, I've arrived or I've, I've achieved some level of spiritual maturity. It's a declaration that because Jesus died for me and rose again, and I believe that I am now a child of God, and I am now an apprentice of Jesus. I am a disciple, a follower of him. Since he died for me, now I live for him. And there are at least two spiritual realities that led to the salvation and baptism of this man and his household. And the stories, you'll hear the stories of those being baptized in a few minutes. And the details differ, okay? You're not going to find anybody with this exact story here this morning. But these two spiritual dynamics are absolutely in play. Here they are. The first reality is that God orchestrates events so that people can hear the gospel. And so for this Philippian man, this Philippian jailer, God orchestrated it. So that these two, two men who were passionate about Jesus, they came to Philippi. They cast the demon out of the girl. They were beaten. They were unjustly thrown in prison. That's how God orchestrated events for him to hear the gospel. That's what God does. God seeks and saves those who were lost. The people who are baptized today, some of them, they came to Christ because they were raised in a believing family. Their parents or their grandparents had this influence on them. For others, it's a Christian friend or a spiritual mentor that reached out to them and shared the gospel. And so, but in retrospect, every one of us can look back and say, you know, I didn't really know it at the time, but God was in pursuit of me, and he orchestrated events so that I would hear the gospel. And the second reality is that the gospel is compelling when it's actually embodied by God's people, when it's not just words, it's not just information, but when you see it embodied in somebody. And so this Philippian jailer, he saw the the gospel embodied in Paul and Silas, by the way they, they suffered. I mean, their, their lives screamed, Jesus is worthy of my worship, whether I'm, I'm in pain or whether I'm in comfort. He's worthy of my worship and he's worthy of your worship as well. The salvation I've received, you can have. And so they saw it embodied by the way that they, they suffered and they saw the gospel embodied because they even cared about him. I mean, they didn't have to stop him and say, don't harm yourself. They could have let him go. But no, they wanted him to have salvation just like they had had. And so their witness wasn't merely in words. They embodied the gospel. That made it compelling. So those being baptized today have seen the gospel embodied by family members, by friends, by their church family, by others in the body of Christ. They've seen firsthand the type of life that Jesus offers to everyone who believes. So in a couple of minutes, we're going to hear excerpts from the stories of all 13 being baptized, but, but uh, first I'd like for the four being baptized here today to come up on stage. If you'd come up on stage now and uh, would like for you to, let's see, I'm going to put this over here. You can kind of stand along that line there. And there we go. This is Dawson, Tristan. Riggins and Ella are going to be baptized. So I'm going to ask each of, I'm going to ask all of you three questions, and if you would respond together out loud, the answers to these questions. this is their affirmation of faith. Trusting in the gracious mercy of God, do you turn from the ways of sin and renounce Satan and all the spiritual forces of evil in the world? I renounce them. thank you. Do you turn to Jesus Christ and accept him as your Lord and Savior, trusting in his grace and love altogether? Thank you. And will you be Christ's faithful disciple, obeying his word and showing his love? I will. Let's help. Thank you. All right, so you are dismissed and those who are going to baptize them, you're dismissed. You can be dismissed as well. Each was... uh, able to choose the person they wanted to be to baptize them. After they are baptized, we as a church are going to be able to make an affirmation, basically receiving them as brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, so I want to practice that with you now so you can say it like you mean it, because you do mean (laughs) it, right? Here we go. So we're going to say, people of God, what is our response? We receive you into the family of God. Live and proclaim the gospel of Christ and share with us in life everlasting. Heavenly Father, we ask that this would be a a day, a morning that these four being baptized would remember for the rest of their lives when they publicly declared before uh, family and the body of Christ that they belong to Christ. And so, God, we celebrate with you now what you've done in their lives. In Jesus' name, amen.